First, I want to thank Ricardo for the opportunity to preach today. And uh, it's just good to be with the good people of St. Luke's. Uh, when my son was three years old, he decided it was time to make a smoothie for me because he knew I liked smoothies. And so what he put in the smoothie were some fruit, some berries, and some pineapple, some watermelon. And then he put in some apple juice. Uh, and then he put in some ketchup and some root beer and some mustard. And he put it all in the blender and blended it all up and gave it to me and said, it's very good. And I said, do you want a sip? And he said, nope, but it's very good. And so when we hear at the end of the story in, X, in uh, Genesis, the creation story, uh, that it's very good, I sometimes am reminded of, of what my son did, because when it comes to creation, I'm not really sure of the mix of all of the ingredients. Each one individually seems fine, but the whole mix doesn't always uh, impress me or enthrall me. When you think about the creation in which we live in, who likes mosquitoes or fleas? Teenagers don't like pimples. The elderly, like me, don't like aches and pains. Nobody likes something as horrible as cancer or an earthquake. Uh, we are in this age of the coronavirus, so we're reminded there are a lot of things in creation that don't seem to be very good. Now, this creation story is not the only one, the only element of creation in scripture. We also have Psalm 8 today, this beautiful enchanting psalm about uh, looking at the stars, the sky, and having a sense of who are we that God cares about us. That in spite of the grandeur of all of creation, we are still very important to God. Or another psalm, Psalm 136, which begins with a creation account in every single act of creation rhymes with the verse that says, God's mercy endures forever. God's mercy endures forever. And the Psalms meander, and some of the Psalms are very unhappy. Some are dissonant. Some are as if in a minor key. But if you get to the end of the Psalms, they end <clears throat> with Psalm 150 with a really, really triumphant note. It's like the end of a long symphonic piece. And the last verse of the last Psalm says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so you have not just the creation story that we have in Genesis, but many other ideas about creation. Uh, but I am not the only one who doubts the full goodness of creation or wonders about it sometimes. There's an old joke about a tailor in New York City. And people would go to him. He was supposed to made the best pants in New York. And people would go to him and uh, they would say, well, how long will it take after they've been measured? And he would say six days. And one customer said, it took God six days to make creation. It takes you six days to make a pair of pants. And the tailor says, look at the world. You want your pants to look like that? Look at these pants. So I'm not the only one who has any doubts. And not every biblical view is a serenade about the beauty of creation. Uh, in God's answer to Job, which is a, a quick view of creation, it is said to be the most unsentimental portrait of creation in Western literature. Everything is running amok. There is the power of birth, the power of death. It is chaos. Uh, it is wildness. And that is another view of creation that's also in the Bible, right alongside of the ones that are very positive. And so I was interested recently when I saw a poll of Americans, many of whom said that God sent the coronavirus. I'm not sure what they were hoping was going to come out of it, but they, they believed God sent it. 
Now, I, my response to that was, well, you know, I think in the mix of goodness and wildness that the germs in our world do not care about the well-being of human beings or anybody else. Now, can God use the coronavirus to teach us something about ourselves or to have us change our behavior? Sure. But did God send it? I don't think so. Another element of the creation story is the brooding of the Holy Spirit. And both creation stories in Genesis have the Holy Spirit in them because the word for spirit is the same as breath and wind. And in the first chapter of Genesis, it's the spirit brooding over creation. In the second chapter, God breathes life into the creature that God makes out of dust, which becomes Adam and Eve. And so the spirit is in that breath. And it's a reminder to us that we need God's breath in us at all times. We're like balloons. And uh, at times the spirit seems to us to be very weak and we need to be blown up again by the spirit. And if you want to test for yourself, uh, if the spirit is in you, then think of yourself like a balloon, uh, being filled up like a balloon. And uh, if you are filled up and your voice is really high, that means you've been inhaling helium and not the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you look for what we know of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. In this Pentecost story that we heard last week, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand other people on a very deep level. It means that people who speak other languages, people who have other experiences, all of a sudden we are able to understand what they're saying and what they're talking about. It's a beautiful vision of what happens when we are filled with the Spirit. And Paul, who ends his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, in the lesson today, ends it with this blessing, this Trinitarian blessing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, when he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he always is clear that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant for one thing. They all inspire us to do the common good. And so if you want to know if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will know because you are driven to do the common good. Now, it's very clear that not everyone today is working to do the common good. Governments are having a hard time what, to figure out what that means. Businesses don't know what that means. Individuals, you can see some people care about the common good and some do not. And so the question for us is in the midst of this pandemic, what helps us to understand each other on a very deep level and what helps us to seek and do the common good? Now, as we know, science is learning about this pandemic even as we're in the midst of it. As one epidemiologist said, when you've seen one pandemic, you've seen one pandemic and no more. Just because there have been other pandemics doesn't mean that what happens now is the same as what happened in those other ones. That is why it's called the novel coronavirus, because it is new. We are also in a time when we are reminded of things that are not novel or new the murder of George Floyd. That is not novel, it is not new. It is sadly as old as American history. Uh, Claudia Rankin, uh, a poet who lives in California, wrote a poem a few years ago called In Memory Of. And it was simply a bunch of lines, each line said in memory of, and it was another victim, African-American victim of police violence. So it was in memory of Eric Garner, in memory of Michael Brown in memory of other people who had died recently. And then there were 25 lines below the 15 people who were remembered. And at the end of each of those 25 nine was, were elliptical dots, dot, in memory of, in memory of, in memory of. 
And George Floyd is one of the names that has now been written in memory of because white supremacy goes on and on. White Christian writers have been writing about white supremacy for years. I've read a white Christian writer who lived in Georgia writing about white supremacy 80 years ago. A white Christian writer in New York writing about white supremacy 60 years ago. It is nothing new. And so while the COVID uh, virus, COVID-19, is a grim reminder of the interconnectedness of animal life with human life and the interconnectedness of all creation, George Floyd's murder reminds us that the very first death in the Bible is a murder. And the common good that we seek must be the common good for everyone in society and also for all the creatures of the earth. We know that we are failing as a society. Uh, the Brazilian bishop, Dom Helder Camara, who, whose ministry was in the late 20th century, used to talk about a spiral of violence. And the beginning of violence, he said, is always oppression. It's always the oppression of people in power of the people without power. And then there is reactive violence to that and a spiral goes up and up and up. That is what we are seeing in our society now. We also know that we're failing in our relationship with creation. We know that climate change is getting worse and worse and we've created a, a spiral of violence with creation. That the way we have damaged creation now, storms are more violent than they were in the past and that's going to continue to happen. And the reaction of, of creation is going to continue to be more and more violent unless we start to work for the common good. Now, the way we face the coronavirus, the way we face white supremacy also has to do with Jesus, everything to do with Jesus. And each gospel underlines different aspects of Jesus' ministry, of his life, of the meaning of his life. And the gospel of Matthew particularly underlines uh, his presence with us. That at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, in Joseph's dream, he is told that this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And today in the lesson at the very end, the very last part, the last verse of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, the risen Christ, says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. As Paul sends a blessing to the Corinthians in his letter, so at the end of the service, the priest always blesses us. But we sometimes ignore, I think often ignore, the incredible blessings that we invoke for each other. When we, uh, before our prayers, when the priest says, the Lord be with you, and we say, and also with you, that isn't just an announcement that it's time to pray. That's a blessing. That's a blessing that the priest offers us and that we, anyone, any Christian, can offer to anyone else. The Lord be with you. Whatever is going on in your life, whether it is depressing you or delighting you, whether it's making you grieve or making you laugh, Christ is with you. Christ is with us to teach us, to lead us, to keep us from being alone when we feel that no one else cares for us. Last month, I moved from New Jersey to California. And as you probably know, New Jersey, along with New York City, is what they call a hotspot. And the physical damage to people, the damage to people's mental health, obviously their financial health has been awful. And some people have been isolated in this time. People who live alone can feel very isolated. And actually they're lucky compared to people who live in overcrowded conditions that are far more risky. And I have four former parishioners who have had the coronavirus. 
Um, and one of them, a lay person I worked with very closely for two years, I was getting text messages as his health got worse. A text message that he had it. And then a text message that he was going to a hospital. And then a text message that he was being put on a respirator, a ventilator. And I knew at that point what was going to happen. I knew he was going to die. And like many patients, he at the end was separated from his family, from his loved ones, from the, his priest, from the people who cared for him. He was separated even from the people who were the, the health workers who were with him on the spot. He was separated and isolated from everyone. And when I think of him struggling for breath, when I think of him being in and out of consciousness, I also believe that Jesus was with him. The Jesus who says, I will be with you to the end of the ages, was with him to the end of his life and beyond. Christ is with you. Christ was with him. Christ is with them. Christ was with him. Christ was with the 21 Episcopalians at a church in the Bronx who have died of COVID-19, with the over 130 MTA workers in New York City, with a priest's friend, I know, I didn't know the friend, I know the priest, uh, someone who suffered from depression who took his own life in the midst of this pandemic. Christ is with 100,000 Americans who have died, with everyone in Brazil who was dying, with everyone who was in Italy, everyone in China, everyone anywhere, whether people believe it or not, or know it or not, or are conscious of it or not, Christ was with them to the end. Jesus knew what it was not to be able to breathe while he was dying a violent death. So he was also with George Floyd and with all past victims of white supremacy and all future victims of white supremacy. Jesus is with you when you can't breathe, whether you're in a ventilator or whether someone's knee is pinning your neck to the ground. When no one else is with you, when no one else is there for you, Jesus is with you at the end of your life and beyond. In spite of the mix, the incredible complexity of creation, I believe that creation is very good. And especially in these times, this time of pandemic and this time when white supremacy is getting worse instead of better, I believe that the Holy Spirit will always inspire us to do the common good, to seek and do the common good. And in the best of times and in the worst of times, I believe that when no one else is there for us or with us, that Jesus is with us. And so in memory of those who have breathed their last, knowing that more are dying, knowing that more are suffering and that many will die, I also know that Jesus is with each one. So let all of us who have breath, on behalf of those who do not, praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs>